This is a video about what to read if you want to approach Nordic animism. Right, the first thing to say is that there isn't, isn't a lot to read uh, that takes this exact perspective, the Nordic animism perspective as I formulated it, and the reason is that I haven't written these books yet. So if you know somebody with funds, then uh, I'm happy to be funded to write some of, some of the books that need to be read and they urgently need to be read about, written, written about this. One of the books that has been written is this one. I've already abundantly recommended it everywhere. Uh, my book on Nordic Animist Calendar. Cool, but here is a little bit more background stuff. Also, by the way, my friend Rune Ingebrig Larsen is in the process of writing a book on animism that when it is done, it's in Danish, will definitely be so worth reading. Cool, so here's just a little sort of cursory introduction to stuff you can read. Here is some folklore, here is some animist thinking, here is some indigenous thinking, and here is some Viking shit. <laughs> um, folklore. The important thing that I'm going to start recommending is using this stuff, indigenous and, anim and animist thinking, on this stuff, the folklore. You can also use it on the Viking stuff, but um, I think this is an important connection to make. The folklore. In Scandinavia, it's like this, that there are these little kind of cheap, cheap publications, and they're all over the place, who are just like talking about time in Nordic folkloric belief, or, uh, you know, the werewolf in southern Sweden, or, uh, well, this is actually from Brittany. Well, if you're from Brittany, then that's cool, of course. Or uh, some legends from a specific area, you know, um, recorded from uh, some area in Jotland. And all these things are, are good to read. When you read them, you need to look for engagement animist engagement, but this stuff will clarify and sort of attune your perspective on that. But stuff like offerings, um, masking traditions, um, relating to uh, subjectivities in the landscape relate, relating to animals, specifically kinship relations are important. Do people think that it's their ancestor who lives inside a, uh, a burial mound? That's a kinship relation that point towards the landscape. Do people think that the bear is really their uncle? This is a kinship relation, possibly a totemic kinship relation. So it's these kind of things that you will be looking for. Um, and sometimes there'll be stuff that's so uh, like arcane that, you know, almost, you know, forget about it actually. That's some calendar stuff that I went through. This is all in Scandinavian language. And uh, if you're a Scandinavian, you can look for that kind of stuff. But I would also re recommend sort of uh, secondary literature that sums up, gives you an overview of things. Because that can also point you more in the, in the exact right direction. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this specific work here which is, uh, it's called uh, The World of Nordic Gods, No One's Gudeverden, by Axel Olrik and uh, Hans Ellekile. Uh, what is awesome about this sort of early to middle 20th century summing up world, which tries to relate all this stuff, all the folklore, 
to this stuff, the Viking stuff. That's sort of the project here. He, what he wants to see, and it's kind of a nationalist project, they want to see how does the Nordic spirit sort of survives inside folkloric uh, ideas. Now that is in itself, from a contemporary uh, perspective, a flawed project. It's not how we think about culture today, but it means that they are actually, from an animist perspective, they're tuning into data, which is which has sort of has an animist uh, they're, they're kind of looking for the good stuff, actually. This project, which isn't really that good, is just means that they're looking for the good stuff, the animist stuff, the stuff that really has animism in it. So this, books like, if you can find stuff like this, this book is very much to be recommended if you read uh, Scandinavian. Um, but uh, but if, if you can find that kind of stuff, then uh, then, then that, that is really good. Also, like... Axel Olrich, who is one of the guys who made this, he was a Nazi. But you're not a Nazi, right? You're not. So when he writes stuff like this, then you can muse at it and think, oh, that's pretty racist towards the Sami. I don't think like that. But who cares? The important thing is the data about folklore that's being communicated. And if a lot of good data is being communicated, then it's a good book to read. Cool. So, so, so stuff like, don't be afraid of stuff that is a little bit antiquated in its, in its, uh, um, in its own worldview, because it's not that worldview we're interested in. Then it comes to the animist, then we come to the animist thinking, the animist theory. And uh, let me just start by recommending strongly this book here, everything written by Graham Harvey. It's good he writes in this clear, lucid, awesome language, uh, as, as opposed to some of the writers of the ontological turn and so on that are writing a really oblique, arcane, arcane language. Animism, uh, respecting the living world. That one's recommended. How Forests Think, uh, Eduardo Cohn is a little bit more into the kind of uh, heavy anthropology way of uh, thinking, but there's a, also there's a whole there's a whole sort of train of thinking here. Rethinking relations and animism. I really enjoyed uh, many of the articles in this one. Also edited is an anthology edited by Graham Harvey, and the Handbook of Contemporary Animism, also edited by Graham Harvey, filled with articles uh, on different aspects of animism. When you read this stuff. You learn to think with the relational anthropology, and that is what you need to apply on that stuff and possibly on that stuff, the Viking shit. Cool. Then also look for uh, indigenous, uh, popularized indigenous thinking. Uh, two specific books that are very much to be recommended is Braiding Sweet Grass here from Robin Kibberer. I really like it. Um, it's uh, it's light in its communication, so I think it's very, very much to be recommended. Tyson Junker Porter, Sand Talk. I monstrosity like it. He say that. I don't think he can say that. I'm crazy about that book, and like Tyson's and his work. <laughs> um, so that's recommended. These so this is a contemporary ways that contemporary indigenous peoples are thinking about their work. And there's probably a lot more. These are just two examples. 
by the way, these are just examples of how to how to think with this. But when you're thinking with majority animism, I think it's important to also relate to your own or your own space. If you are in fact living in Brittany, then check out what's about Brittany, you know. But also don't be too dogmatic. I think animism relates to space to a large extent, and this means that. The relations to the relatings to space that are uh, relevant to your space are the ones that are relevant. Cool. Then there's all the Viking shit. Sagas. Forget about them for now. It's not that there is. Like, if you want to go into and research uh, pre-Christian Nordic religions, for instance, then this is its own huge and interesting and weird and problematic research field and of course you should be reading sagas but um but i would act but but if you want to read the original material the edda is what's important that's really important and it's also what is really weird you, it's difficult to understand the edda the verlas bar uh, that i've been speaking about at length i remember vividly when i studied this stuff in university the uh, legendary um uh, professor at the University of Copenhagen, um, uh, Jens Vangor, said that the, about the Völuspár that it's one of the poems in the world which is the most appreciated, one of the most amazing poems in the world, and it's one of the ones that we understand the, 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 the littlest of. We don't understand a lot of what it says in there. There's a lot of stuff in there that's difficult to understand. And it's like that with the Elleda. It's not all that easy, uh, which is why it, it is an important uh, a thing when you are looking at the Viking stuff to, to, to use secondary literature scholarship about it that can you know tell you about it, uh, this stuff. And a book like uh, Neil Price, The Viking Way, this is a good book in English. Oh, if you read Scandinavian, Hosteinsland, the Rhön, Religion. Uh, is uh, one of the one of the best, and uh, and then of course you can go go into specific stuff if you're interested in shamanism. Seder, then a work like this here, Dark Thronebeck's classic Seid, is um, uh, is a way to go into these specific things. And if you the thing is, if you have scholarship like this, Dark Thronebeck. He read more of the original material in the original language than you will ever get anywhere close to. So that means that he can refer to all a huge material that you're simply not aware of. And this is the advantage of secondary literature. That uh, sometimes I even think that secondary literature, which is really really deconstructive, is good because. I, I feel sometimes I can, it's almost like I, I, I have, a, if you think with, with an animist perspective, you can look through the, uh, the, the, the deconstructions. So if you have a, a book about Odin that wants to reduce Odin to a complete literature, uh, literary um, motif that can't really say anything about any religious motif at all, uh, or any religious figure at all, it's just some medieval literary uh, speculations, then that book will go through all the the uh, the marginal examples also because they, they would be probably the ones that support this theory the best and all the marginal examples they are also very very relevant examples of animation in those 
in those uh, in those times, and they are also material for animation. So um, so don't be a, uh, afraid also of very critical uh, stuff. Um, uh, it's also good to be able to think critically, of course. Even though uh, historical critical thinking doesn't always match uh, animists animist thinking, so yeah. But also do of course think with Edda. The poetic Edda is an incredible phenomenon. It's like an anomaly of history that this material even exists. This is a translation of uh, Carolyn Larrington that many recommend as the best. English translation of the poetic era. Uh, my personal thinking is that this was this survived because uh, there must have been priesthoods, perhaps Odinic priesthoods, that trans uh, that um, uh, converted to Christianity, and then this probably or perhaps secret and sacred material. Some of it was a little bit less religiously charged, but it was still they still felt that it was worth something. And in Iceland, they were living so far away from the medieval church that they were able to write it down. It sometimes happens in uh, anthropology also that, that uh, insights into, for instance, initiatory secret processes happens when people, uh, uh, when people convert to Christianity because then it becomes a little bit less religiously charged for them. I suspect something like that happened with the, uh, the Elder Era. Right. If you're interested in contemporary answer true, uh, then there is possibly, again, a huge literature available. I would just recommend one book, and that is my good friend Matthias Nordvik, uh, Answer True for Beginners, uh, Modern Heathen's Guide to Ancient uh, Northern Way. Uh, Matthias writes uh, in a clear and Non nonsense way that is so. This is just like very awesome little introduction to contemporary answer true. Uh, now I'm just mentioning a couple of slightly um, books. I didn't know which pile to put them in a little bit. Evergreen Ash. It's about ecology and catastrophe in old Norse, Norse myth and, and literature. I've only looked in it a little bit, but it's probably interesting. And if you're interested in runes, I recommend this one here. And Grow Sheffield, Long Branches. Um, as I remember, and uh, um, Sheffield doesn't think about this today as a piece of strictly analytical scholarship. And I, paradoxically, I think that's why it's so good. She's a, a scholar, a lay scholar. I think she educa educated herself and uh, in uh, Nordic studies and a heathen. And in this book, she works associatively, but at a very high level. With the runes. This is a book that I would wish that I wrote about runes. Cool. So that was just a little cursory sort of introduction to stuff that I think you should uh, look at uh, if you are uh, interested in approaching Nordic animism through reading. And um, I hope I remember mentioning all the titles of this. You know what, I'm just going to go, you can stop the video here if you've seen everything, but I'm just going to mention a lot of titles again. Uh, there weren't really any titles here, except if you're a Scandinavian, then No One School of Aden, Ulrich or Elekile, that is uh, the 
is a treasure trove of uh, folkloric data, sort of that sort of mirrors heathen practices, uh, or that they think mirrors heathen practices, or perhaps in continuity with uh, heathen practices. I think that's their main claim. Handbook of Contemporary Animism, Anthology of Graven, <laughs> Graham Harvey. Graham Harvey's own writing here, Animism, Respecting the Living Work, uh, the Living World. Awesome uh, introduction. This is probably the first book you should take and read. How Force Think, Eduardo Cohn, Cohn, a little bit more into uh, anthropology, blah, 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 but also very interesting. He's studying a specific people in Amazon called the Runa. Rethinking animus relations, uh, rethinking relations and animism, personal materiality, uh, edited by Miguel Astor Aguilera and Graham Harvey again. Sand talk, Tyson Junker Porter, badass awesomeness of a book. Braiding sweet grass by uh, Robin Kimmerer. I'm not quite as ecstatic about this, uh, but. Um, uh, but also very good, and I think a lot of people really likes it. Now I remember a book that I forgot mentioning, Falling Skies by the Yanomamo Shannon, uh, David Kobenauer. That should also go in this pile here. Uh, I have it on Kindle, that's why. <laughs> that's why I didn't find it when I was finding these books. Long Branches by Anne Gross Sheffield, the best book about runes that I know. Best book if your project is runic mysticism. If you are a runologist and you want to uh, understand the history of runes or writing and interpretation of runic inscriptions and so on, then this is not your book. And it works with, which is part of why I like it, the younger 16th Futhark, which uh, I uh, like the best. Evergreen Ash by uh, Christopher Abram about eco-literary criticism. If you're interested in modern Asatru, Matthias Norvik. Also true for beginners. Carolyn Larrington's translation of the Poetic Edda. And when it comes to uh, secondary literature on Viking shit, I could probably have mentioned a lot more books here, like Voodoo, Simic, and uh, whatever they're called, all, all of them. But I'm just dropping a couple of names here as examples of stuff that, uh, that that's good. If you're interested in, say, that. Uh, shamanism, Dark Strombeck, but that's, that's in Swedish. Grosteinsland in, in Norwegian is one of the best introductions to, uh, to pre-Christian Nordic religion. And the Viking Way here from Neil Price. This is in English, is to be recommended. And yeah, but again, this last here, there will be more, there will be fuller recommendations out there. Um, about Wilhelm Grönbeck, who actually founded my old institute, uh, History of Religions at the University of Copenhagen, uh, and has sadly, sadly become this um, kind of a, a altarpiece with right-wing thinkers. And uh, I mean, I do understand why they, they like uh, his work, because it is, in a sense, very nationalist. It is essentialist. He's thinking very much with this sort of, like, essential Nordicness as this sort of 
interior power almost that is inside of us and which is expressing itself uh, in different ways. There are cases where he, he almost, I mean, what he writes could almost be described as nationalist mysticism. Um, there's a description in this, I think is in this book, where he, uh, he describes the Nordic Volksgeist, the folk spirit, uh, as um, um, kind of condensed in the figure of uh, Sigurd Fafnisbani, and then he, I think he meets uh, the Celtic uh, Volksgeist, folk spirit, uh, condensed in the figure Cuchulain, and then they, and it's almost like a myth that he's weaving, and I think that. Wilhelm Grönberg, at his own time, he was already his way of thinking was already a little bit uh, kind of outdated as a scholarship. It's very literary in the way that he uh, that he is sort of delving into the semantic meanings of different uh, different concepts and so on. So he would take the concepts of uh, peace, what peace meant to uh, Christian Nordics and uh, and explore it or the gift or honor and these things. This is definitely not the first stuff you should read uh, because it's it's a little bit more of a curiosity of uh, history of scholarship than than it's something that actually um, um, brings you insight into pre-Christian religions. Uh, but I just want to mention it. Because it's uh, it, it's uh, stuff that I'm seeing a lot of people use in this way. I actually don't think that Wilhelm Grönbeck was a right winger himself. I think he was pretty leftist. However, that doesn't mean his his thinking is still certainly has a capacity to speak to right wingers today. Yeah, that was just a. A little bit of quick recommendations. Um, I hope you got something you can use. And uh, thanks and see you around.